Good morning. Uh, my name is Ron. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, behold, I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make not, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for, for Jesus who came to unite us in a kingdom to love and care for each other as he cares for us. Lord, we ask that you would uh, bless this, this time that we gather and bless Tim as he brings the word and expounds upon it. Help us to learn um, a little deeper and more practically what it is to be members one of another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome you to Phoenix Bible Church. If you're new, maybe this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. We're really glad that you've joined us. If you're not new, I want to welcome you back. And a special welcome to our kiddos. You guys in here? Kids? Yeah? Wake up. There we go. Yeah? Uh, it's great to have you guys in here. We do this every once in a while, a family worship Sunday. Uh, for a couple reasons, to give our kids volunteers a break, as well as just to, to have some uh, extra energy, right? Some extra life. In the room, you got some different sounds going on, and, and we, we embrace that, we enjoy that, and if you're a parent in here, I know this is going to be a little bit different, but I invite you to embrace uh, these next 30 minutes or so, so we're going to try to keep it to 30 minutes, so, um, for you, and uh, I'm excited to, to have all you guys in here, because um, a lot of you guys don't get to see our kids, you don't get to see what goes on over there, maybe you don't have kids, or maybe you're new to the church, but you need to know across the courtyard every Sunday, we have a ton of kids in there doing exactly what we're doing in here. It looks a little bit different, uh, but they're singing to Jesus, they're learning about Jesus, they're working out, what does this look like in my life? And a lot of you guys never even get to experience that. 
Uh, and the reality is it takes a bunch of people to, to make that happen. Everybody from teachers who prepare all week and study and prep and pray. It takes people who just volunteer and help do check-in. It takes helpers uh, to wrangle the kids, you know, and get them all seated in a circle and all those things. It takes a ton of people every Sunday. And I'm just excited that we get all of you guys in here on one Sunday. And, and I just want to recognize you real quick. And so if you serve in kids... In any capacity, I know you're not going to want to do this because you don't do it for this, right? But I'm going to ask you, I would like you to stand up for me. If you serve in kids' ministry in any capacity, would you just stand? Yeah, go ahead and stand up. Would you guys thank them? I think some of you guys aren't standing, but that's okay. We're going to clap for you too. Thank you guys. What you do really matters. As a church, we're going to talk about what we believe about the church. You need to know, especially if you're new, we don't believe uh, the church does babysitting, right? We make little disciples of Jesus. And so that's why we prepare a lot. That's why you guys do it. That's why you sacrifice is you're investing in the next generation and you're investing more than that. You're invest investing into eternity. And so thank you for doing that. Uh, we appreciate you more than you know. As we get into the sermon, we're going to continue and really close out this series on what we believe. And we've said it throughout the series that we want you to have a confessional belief, right? That's a goal we want you to be able to articulate with your mouth and say what you believe and, and grow in that. But we don't want it to stop with confessional. We want it to go to, to functional. So we want it to go from your, your head to your hands. We want to live this out. And so we've talked about some big issues. If you've been with us, we've talked about some controversial issues about what we believe and laying the foundation for that as a new church. And as we've done that, we've looked at God, and what we believe about God, humanity, heaven and hell. Last week, today we're looking at the church, and the goal is still the same as we end this series, that we want to talk about the church, what we believe about it, what God says about it, but also how we live that out. And so that's our goal as we cap off this series today. And I was thinking about it this week. I thought of just moving, and I've moved a few times with my family. And I remember the first time we moved and sold a house uh, those last few days as you're kind of getting everything out and you're cleaning up the house, maybe some of you have experienced this, uh, nothing's really in the house anymore. And we're just picking up a few things. And, and that specific day, this specific day, I had my kids with me. And my wife uh, was out running some errands. And I had my kids with me and we're cleaning up stuff around the house. And, and we had this hanging lamp in our house. And the hanging lamp is really an amazing invention. Right, it adds some, some ambiance to the, the dinner table, right? You get some light, you can see your food. But the hanging lamp with the dinner table removed is the most destructive thing ever, right? Have you ever walked into a hanging lamp because the dining table wasn't there? Amen, absolutely, hallelujah. Well, I like to go above and beyond in life, and so I, I didn't just run into that lamp one time, but multiple times. And one specific day, I ran into it, it kind of knocked me woozy for a second, regained composure, and kept cleaning up the house. And then that wasn't enough, and so I wanted to have round two. And so I was doing some stuff with my kids, and I just, I hit the lamp again, and it was painful. I didn't just bump into it, like it jacked me in the face right? My head was bleeding. And so my kids are there and, and my head's bleeding. And so I run into the other room and I shouted something. And, and then I lay down on the ground. My head is bleeding. I've just jacked my face with this lamp for the second time. And I'm laying on the ground. My four-year-old daughter at the time, she comes in and she says, daddy, are you okay? And I said, yeah, sweetie, just, just give me a second. And um, she's like, daddy, 
we need to do something about this lamp. And I was like, I know, I've been meaning to fix it, and we'll, maybe we'll get to it. And she's like, Daddy, we need to sell this house. I mean, it's hurting people. Like, we need to get rid of this thing. It's causing damage. And I said, I know, we're, we're trying to sell it, we're getting there. And, you know, as I thought about that, um, now that I'd been hit by this lamp twice, head bleeding, I was kind of hesitant from then on, right? Until we sold the house, as I walked around, I had a different purpose, right? I was ducking and weaving as I walked around because I didn't want to hit that lamp, right? I, I didn't want that to happen again, and I was hesitant. And that's kind of the way I lived life for the next couple days. You see, as we talk about the church today, I, I know many of you come from different backgrounds and experiences, and the reality is some of you are, are hesitant, right? You're hesitant, maybe you're new to church, and you're like, why do we stand up? Why do we sit down? Why, why does he stand up there and talk? What am I supposed to do while he's doing that? And you're, you're hesitant because you're feeling your way around this thing. You're not sure how it, it functions. Some of you have hit your face with the lamp in church, right? And you've experienced pain in church, and maybe somebody said something to you or did something to you or didn't do something for you, and, and that's carried with you. And maybe you're, you're here, so you, you survived it, right? You're here, but people try to talk to you. You just you give them the hand, give them the Heisman, right? People try to ask you how things are going. You're like, good, good. Yeah, things are great. And you don't want to be genuinely known. You don't want to be lovingly supported. You don't want to let people in. You don't want to get involved in this thing. You just kind of show up, and then as soon as this church service is over, you jet out those back doors, right? I've, I've seen some of you jet out the back doors, right? So a lot of us walk into a church and a church experience, and we're hesitant for, for different reasons. And some of you think, well, no, Tim, the church is an amazing thing. It's the expression, the outworking of Christ in the city, in the world. And it's an amazing thing. And you've always been in the church. And you're like, I can't relate to that. But even you sometimes treat this and you just check it as a box. And so we're going to look at today and remind all of us, whether we're hesitant or whether we've been doing this thing, we think it's a beautiful thing all our lives, we're going to remind us why we do what we do as the church, who is the church, and how it's supposed to function. And so we're going to get into that. Ron read it earlier, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, the first thing we're going to see is that the church is a people more than a place. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. The church is a people more than a place. Uh, we get that a little bit in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. You see many times the church is referred to as a, as a body. You see that in other places like Ephesians and Colossians. Sometimes that's referring to believers everywhere, every believer everywhere. Sometimes it's referring to a specific group of believers like here in the city of Corinth. But it's the idea that a body, just like our bodies, have different members. They're connected. They're contributing all for a greater purpose. That that's the church that we are the body of Christ, that we're all, all connected, we're all contributing members of this body. So it's, it's more of a people than a place. The word church in the original language is ecclesia. Uh, it means a, assembly of people. And it's interesting, if you look at other places in the Bible where we're seeing the church in action, I think of 1 Timothy and Titus. It talks about the leadership of the church, elders, pastors in the church, right? You think of Matthew 18 when there's unresolved conflict and you're supposed to go to somebody else and then when that doesn't work, you bring some other people involved and then that doesn't work, you bring the church into it. 
And you need to know in all those circumstances and all those situations, it's not talking about brick, right? It's not talking about a, a parking lot. It's not talking about a location. It's talking about people, that you bring unresolved conflict to, to people, that you lead, if you're a pastor and elder, you lead people, that it's more about a people than a place. But it's not that the place isn't important. It's just not the point, right? Like the place is important. I'm thankful for our place. We're a church that's a little bit less than two years old, and we've met in a couple places. And it was interesting. I was talking to a guy one time, and he wasn't really familiar with church, especially church planting, a new church, and what that process is like. And he said, well, where do you guys where do you guys meet? And I said, well, you know, we meet downtown. And, and at first, you know, we met in this church building called Grace Lutheran at, at a different time. And then now we meet in this school called ASU Prep Academy. And, uh, you know, one day we hope to have our own place and our own building when our giving grows and people grow and all that kind of stuff. And, and the guy was just sitting there kind of confused. And he's like, man, for a, a pastor, you church hop a lot. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Uh, no, you see, it's all the same church. Like, we have the same people. We just meet in different places. That the church is primarily the people of God, and we use a place as a tool to reach out to more people and to raise up people in Jesus, right? And so the reality is we may change a place, but it's just a tool to raise up people, and that that is the point. The place is... Important, but it's just not the point. So what kind of people, if we're the people, so when we say church, the rest of the time, I'm saying people, how do we function? How are we supposed to act? That's our second point. The church is connected. The church is connected. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. It says this, for just as the body is one and has many members, all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so as we talk about the body of Christ, the people of God, just as a body has many members, so it is with Christ. So when we think about the church being a body, whose body is it? Christ, right? So it is with Christ, that, that we aren't the body, we're not an assembly around a cause, we're not an assembly of people around a political position, right? We're definitely not that. We're a people centered around a, a person. That we're a, a body of Christ. In Colossians, it talks about that Christ is the head of the body, the church. And so we are a, a people, we are a church that is connected first to Jesus, and so that means that we don't just think of some fun things to do as a church, as a people, like maybe we should do some good in the world. We don't just think maybe we should help these people or, or do this thing because it would be kind of nice. No, we look at scripture and we look, what was Jesus about? How did Jesus live? Why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus resurrect? What did he tell us to do? And we operate off his purpose, his mission, his grace to make disciples of Jesus, followers of, of Jesus. We see that in Great Commission. To bring his kingdom to bear on earth, his rule, his reign. We want people to see that and see an image of that, a model of that on the earth that points back to him. And so we're a people that are connected to Jesus and everything we do results from that because he is the head. Right? Everything flows from who 
Jesus is. We're people who are connected, but we're not just the people who are connected to Jesus. We're people who are connected to each other. And if you look at the text, verses 13 and 14, Paul, the author, illustrates this. He, he compares it to two groups of people, the Jews and the Greeks, and the slaves and the free. And he does that really intentionally when talking about the church being connected. We're not only connected to Jesus, but to each other. And he gives two extreme examples, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. And the reason he did that, because if you looked at Jews and Greeks at the time, they had very different heritages, right? That even if you're not really familiar with church or the Bible, what do you think of when you think of Greek people? I think of maybe statues like Caesar, you think of the Greek gods, maybe that you learned about in school, and that was the Greeks. That was their heritage, multiple gods. They thought the, the physical body was something to be elevated. And then you had the Jewish people. They just had one God. They were originally the chosen people of God. And so you have multiple gods, one God, two drastically different heritage, right? right? But then you also had two different cultures. I mean, just one specific example was circumcision. Kids, we don't have time to explain that today. You can ask your parents later. But, but circumcision, something the Jews practiced and, and held to strongly, firmly. And then you had the Greeks over here who, they would do nothing to mar the body. You, you see that in the, in the statues. They, they elevated the body. And so they would, they would never even think about circumcision. So you had two different types of people. But Jesus comes on the scene. And some of these Jewish people who had God as their father from the Old Testament, and then some of these Greek people who had multiple gods all intersected around Jesus, that Jesus had lived, died, and resurrected, and they came together. There was unity amidst diversity. And then he talks about slaves and free. We don't even need to explain that. In our culture, we see it. In that culture, they would have seen that. These are two very different groups of people there's a lot of barriers between a slave and a free person. And Paul is intentionally pointing out that these types of people come together. There's unity amidst diversity. And so you think about this in our day, why, why don't we just do church online? You can, right? We have amazing technology. You can watch a whole worship service online from the singing to the teaching to the communion to the prayer. You can just do that with a click of a button, right? We have podcasts where you can listen to incredible communicators of God's word, like actually teaching God's word in a, in a sound way. You're going to learn some things from that, from across the world. And you can do that any time of the day just with the click of a, a button, right? You can find community. We have, it, it's easier than ever before. We have meetup.com. You have match.com. You can put your interests and affinities and be matched up with other people who are similar to you. And so sometimes I talk to people and they're like, Tim, the, the church is so political. I mean, the church is so messy. I mean, why do we really need the church? Especially when we have all these things. I can get God's word. I can get community. I can find some of that on my own. Why do we need the church? Well, there's a, a hundred there's infinity reasons why we need the church, but just, I'm gonna give you two. One is glory and one is growth. One is the glory of God. That when you see what Paul is describing, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, coming together over a common cause, a common person in Jesus Christ, 
that we want to find out a little bit more as to why that is. That if you just hang out with people who are just like you, if you just are with people who have everything in common with you, your personality, your preference, and everybody gels, nobody wonders, like, how, how does that happen? Why? Because you see that in all the world. You don't just see that with Christians. You see that with everyone, right? It doesn't take anything special to hang out with people you like. You just, you like them. And so you guys hang out. But when you look at the church, you bring in different heritages, different cultures, different personalities, and you look at that and you think, why does that happen? It's like our music. You know, you think about we divide up music into the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, like the hits of today, right? And and the reason why we do that is because a lot of people really like the music from the 50s. A lot of people really like the music from the 80s, and we divide over those things. We're like, man, this is what I like, this is the kind of music I like, this is the kind of music they like. And so there's some music, like uh, maybe like a Justin Bieber, where it's, it's designed for 14-year-old girls to maybe like 18-year-old girls. And there's some music like Frank Sinatra that's more for our older people, and they're like, this is really what music is about. And they're like, that Taylor Swift stuff, not so much, Right? And we divide over music, but every once in a while, there's a song that brings everybody together, right? A song like the, the Cupid Shuffle. <laughs> if you've ever been to a wedding reception, you know what this song is, right? And it's one of those songs where at the beginning of it, and maybe some, there's some people out there, not us, right? There's some people out there, they just get right into it, and they're just doing it, right? And they go out there and you're like, oh, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I don't dance. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. But then maybe your spouse or somebody else comes and gets you and they're like, come on, it's the Cupid Shuffle. Like, we got to do it. And you're like, no, no, it's okay. I'm fine. And, and finally, before you know it, you're on the dance floor and you're like, to the left, to the left, to the right, walk about. You know, and, and you're participating in this and, and you're smiling and you're laughing and, and maybe some of you won't admit that. I can see it in your face and you're like, no, not me. And, but even in the back of your mind now that I just sang it, you're like, oh, I, can, I can hear it, right? I can hear the tunes in my mind, right? That there's some songs that bring us together. And what do you do with those songs? You tell everybody you know, like, you've got to listen to this song. Like, what is it about this song? And it's the same way in the church. That when somebody really experiences the church, maybe somebody new to church, maybe even somebody outside the church looks at it and like, why would you guys hang out with these guys? Why would you associate with these different races, these different political parties? Why would you guys all get together for this common cause? Like, isn't that messy? Isn't that annoying at times? Isn't it distracting at times? And you're able to say like, yes, but you see, there's a Jesus who is so glorious who is so good, who's changed my life. And even though I still have my preferences, man, I want to be around some other people who worship him. And even though they may be different than me and we may not agree on everything, like I want to be around them and see it's a platform for God's glory when we live like this as a church. That we're able to point people to Jesus, that other than Jesus, for some people, there is no reason why I would connect with them. But because of Jesus, I do. I am. And so we connect with other people. The reason why we need the church is to glorify Jesus. He gets more glory in that. The second reason is our growth. That if we just 
sit online, if we just do podcasts, blogs, we're like, I got my own friends, I, I kind of made my own little church, like I have everything I need, then you miss out on growth. Why? Because you don't know what you need. Like newsflash, you don't know what you need. I think of my own life. There were some uh, key guys, specifically when I was in college, who came around me. Uh, some of my stories, some of you know it, but I grew up around the church in many ways, it was a beautiful thing. I found out about Jesus through the local church. I, I got a foundation for truth and the Bible through the local church. But there were times when I became disenchanted with the church. I, I didn't see what I saw in scripture, and so I kind of pulled away from the church a little bit. It seemed like it was all about rules and politics and a popularity contest at times. And so I kind of drifted away from the church. But when I was in college, and some of you are in college, and maybe this has happened for you or still can happen for you, I decided, God, I'm going to give this church thing another shot. And I remember showing up to this men's Bible study, and there was a couple guys there that I just, like, immediately, I was like, why did I give this a shot? <laughs> I mean, one guy was kind of a show-off, and, and the other guy was, was a math nerd. And I was in this discussion group with both of these guys, and I'm like, why am I here? I'm not a math nerd. I hate show-offs. <laughs> exactly. Why am I here but, but I, I stayed. I didn't run out the door. And I began to hang out with these two guys. One of the guys' names, the math nerd, his name was Butch. And so not only was he a math nerd, his name was Butch, right? <laughs> Just kind of odd, right? Uh, the other guy's name was Marshall, and he, he was kind of the show-off. And I began to talk to these guys, and I began to learn about Scripture with these guys, and they began to walk me through, yeah, the church is messy, but it's so worth it. It's worth it because we get to be a part of God's redemptive plan throughout history. And as I'm going through college and dating relationships and friendships and class schedules, and that's all new and I'm away from home, we begin to find some commonalities of like, that's hard, but we can cling to Jesus. And, and here's what that looks like. You need to know that those two guys ended up being uh, accountability partners for me, people that I walked through life with for the, the next three years of my college career, that to this day, I, I've never experienced relationships exactly like that. that. That part of that during that time period was when I discerned a call into ministry to be a pastor, to do what I'm doing today, 15 years later, that still to this day, I have a phone call with those guys once a month, and we talk about our marriages, we talk about church, we talk about life, we talk about sin. 15 years later, with a math nerd named Butch and a show-off named Marshall. You know what? I would have never chosen that. I would have never prayed for a math nerd named Butch. God, would you please... Would you just bring that in my life? I would have never prayed like, hey, this, maybe a show off, somebody who's really flashy and about themselves, like, uh, God, can you bring that into my life? I would have never asked for that, but God knew I, I needed that, right? You see, there's a reality that a lot of us don't want to admit, it's that we have blind spots. We all have blind spots, and they're called blind spots because we can't see them. And so we need other people in our lives who we may not necessarily choose to connect with that God chooses and puts around us to point out sin, to draw us close to him in ways we would have never chosen. And we grow because of that. Some of you have similar testimonies. 
There's people, as I look across this room, when you first started coming to our church, you didn't really know each other, you didn't have anything in common. Now some of you are dating. Some of you are working towards marriage. Some of you are, are diehard blood brothers, friends, right? And that only happens when we come together as the church, when we experience what Paul is describing. And I think a lot of us in our day, specifically in an individualistic society, we don't get involved in the church. We don't connect with other people who are different from us because it's too messy, right? There was a book I remember reading called I Like Jesus But Not the Church. And the whole book was interviews with people who they wouldn't go near the church because it's too messy, right? It can get political. There is conflict. There is disagreement. And it's just too messy. So I'm just going to stay over here and, and worship Jesus because he's great, but the church, not so much. And you hear a lot of people say things like, you know, I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual, right? And when they say that, sometimes they're talking about the organized religion, but usually they're talking about like, you know, Jesus is great, I'll read my Bible, I'll study, I'll pray, I'll connect with some people I like, but the church, I don't want to have anything to do with that, it's too messy, so I'm just going to be spiritual, I'm not really religious, I don't really go to church, you know, when we say that, it's incredibly flawed because we're connected to Jesus. He's the head of the body, right? We see that in this text. We see it in other texts. Jesus is the head of the body. We're connected to him. But we're also, as a, as a piece of that, we're connected to other people. And there's really no separation. You think about it as a family. Like my kids who are in this room with us. I'm their dad and they're my kids. And listen, if you came to me and you said, hey, Tim, I, I really like you. I mean, I've heard you talk about football. I mean, I like football too. I mean, I like your church. I mean, let's hang out more. Let's get to know each other more. But listen, your daughter, I mean, if you could just leave her at home, I mean, because she's kind of annoying. I mean, if, if I have to look at her one more time, like your little daughter, like if you could just leave her to the side, that would be better for me. Like, what am I going to say to that? Well, sure, you know, I mean, she kind of bothers me too. I mean, if she didn't get enough sleep that night, I don't want to hang out with her either. I get what you're saying. Like, let's just hang out. No, right? Because there's no separation. That is, I'm the head of my family, and one of my kids is a part of that family, that if you hang out with me, you hang out with my kids. That if you like me, even when my kids may be difficult, that you get my kids too, right? And so the idea of, I like Jesus, but I don't like his church, that that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't compute, right? That if we want to worship Jesus, that we connect with the people he died for, the people he gave his life for. Listen, even when it's messy, even when it's awkward, even when it's difficult, that it's a package deal. And so we are connected with Jesus as the church. We're connected with other people. And then the third point is the church contributes. We see that expressed in, in 14 through 21. It says this, For the body does not consist of one member but of many. It says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so as we think about this imagery of the body, you see an eye, you see an ear, you see a hand, that it's the idea that all these different members of this body are contributing. They're all playing a part. They all have a function. And we need them all. Like, we can't have all eyes, right? And some of us, we we may not think of it this way, but we like to have all eyes. We think, I want to hang out with some people who are similar in age to me, who have similar interests to me. Uh, Maybe they all have a big dog, (laughs) And we can go to the dog park together. Like, I want to hang out with some people that are similar. And what you're really saying is, I want to hang out with all eyes. And maybe there's some slight variation. Maybe there's some blue eyes, some brown eyes, some hazel eyes. But you're like, I just, hands, they're kind of weird. I mean, they have little hairs on the knuckles. I don't really like those guys. I just want to hang out with a bunch of eyes. And that works really well until something goes wrong, doesn't it? Like until a bunch of eyes get together and there's something in all the eyes, like something stuck in your eye, and you're like, I got something stuck in my eye. And you're talking to all your buddies and you're like, can you, can you help me get this out? And they're like, man, I, I've had this stuck in my eye since I was little, not getting out. Then you need a hand, right? You, you need something else to come along and say, let, let me get that out for you. Because they're playing their part. They're operating in their gifting. And so the reality is we, we need all the members of the body to contribute for a greater cause. You see it in the early church with the first disciples. A lot of us, when we think of the disciples, we think of the fishermen. There definitely were those guys. But there was also Matthew, a tax collector, who would try to extort money from people like the fishermen. But this was Jesus' first church, his first followers. You have people who are financially equipped, and then you have people who fish for a living. And he says, I'm going to take all of you guys and all the different things you do and all the ways you're wired and even some of the ways you're against one another, and I'm going to bring you together and you're going to contribute for a greater cause. I think about when we lived in Portland, we were at a a church and in Portland um, is unique. Um, There's lots of different kinds of people in Portland. And our experience was no different. We had a guy who was older And there was a garage next to the church, and he would always be in that garage building tables. He was just really good with his hands, really good with work. He was a truck driver by vocation. And he would always be in there building stuff for the church, and that's how he contributed to the church. And I would usually walk up to church, and I would see this guy hanging out, building stuff, grinding away. But he was never by himself. Like he would bring in these guys, some of them hipsters. Some of them artists, some of them young guys, and they would all sit around this guy and watch him build a table. And I always thought that was so strange. I mean, truck driver, builds tables, older, and you got these hipsters, you got these artists, you got these musicians, and they're all flocking to this guy. And what they would do is they would read scripture together, they would pray together, and some of those guys would talk about the only reason I'm at this church is because that guy poured into my life. You see, the church is the only place where you see that happen, where you see people who are completely different from one another contributing for a greater goal, and everything is needed. And so we say at our church, uh, our vision statement, we talk about our mission statement is to love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. 
And then we have our vision statement. Our vision is what we think could happen if we actually all did that. And our vision is that we want to see the love of Jesus move us from a place of consuming to contributing, from a place of convenience to connecting. That as we look at the landscape of Phoenix, it's a beautiful city with lots of great things, but we're susceptible to convenience, to consuming. And so as we look at why are we here as a church, we want to move people from that to a place of connecting, to a place of contributing, because there's a need. Because there's a need. And as you think about that, maybe if you're newer to Phoenix, or you just look at Phoenix at the surface level, you think, is there really a need in Phoenix? I mean, it's basically strip malls and golf. Are, are people really hurting in need? Are they lost in Phoenix? Is there a need for us all to come, come together to see this happen? Uh, George Barna, which is a research group, uh, did a, a study. They do this every year, and they did the least church cities in America. And as you look at that study, number 10 was New York City. And all of us look at that and we're like, well, that makes sense. New York City, I mean, that place is rough. That's got to be one of the least church cities. But then right under that, right before that, is Phoenix, Arizona, the ninth least church city in America. And for some of you, you hear that, and that's kind of surprising, Tim. I mean, I see some churches. We got big churches. We have strip malls, golf. I mean, everybody seems to be doing fine. Like, why are we the least church city in America? You see, the reality is that there is beneath the surface, there is a brokenness, and there is a need in Phoenix just like everywhere else. Some of us, because we're downtown, you don't have to tell us that. I mean, you look in our backyard, one of the most crime-ridden, impoverished places in our city is right behind us. Some of you interact with these people as we come downtown, and you think, there is hurt, there is need. But it goes beyond downtown. It's in the suburbs. When people come home and they put their garage down and they don't talk to other people because they're hiding sin, they're hiding brokenness, that there's a need there, too. There's a need throughout our valley for people to know Jesus and intersect with his church. And so we need everybody functioning together. We need the techie with the artist. We need the the fisherman with the tax collector, right? We need everybody functioning together, contributing, so we can see this vision play out, not only through our church, but through all churches in Phoenix, There's a book about the church called The Trellis and the Vine, and it talked about what the church can really be if people contribute. Here's what the church can look like. Here's what our church could look like if we all contributed. I just want to read it for you. It says this, that it would go from running programs to building people, from running events to training people, from filling gaps to training missionaries, from solving problems to helping people make progress, from relying upon other training institutions to establishing local training, from engaging in management to engaging in ministry, from seeking church growth to desiring gospel growth. That as you see everybody contribute in the church and not just consume, that you see things like that happen. And you see it not just happen for a time, that it perpetuates throughout eternity, that other people come on, And they're raised up and they carry the church on. That that's what the church can be if we contribute. It can be that at Phoenix Bible Church. Our last point is this, that the church cares. You see that in the last few verses, 22 through 26, that the church cares. It says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. 
And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, disp- we bestow the greater honor. And our, impress- our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What you see in that passage is this connection between one and all. That if one experiences it, all experiences it. It's like a family. If you think about a family, uh, specifically you think about something like the stomach flu, right? One person gets that, what happens? It's only a matter of time, right? Till everybody's bent over the toilet, right? One person gets it, all are gonna get it. And so the bad things, if you suffer, we all suffer. But it's not just the bad things, right? It's the good things as well, like fruit snacks. You think about it, if your kid brings home some fruit snacks, that's not just for them, right? You get to enjoy that too, right? Daddy gets to enjoy fruit snacks also. What one experiences, all experience. That when we rejoice, we rejoice together. When we suffer, we suffer together. That the church is like a family that the church cares for one another. Uh, You know, as I I think about the church and our church, uh, some of you know our story, but we we came here, uh, some crazy circumstances. In in three months, we we started a new church. And when we did that, we were new to Phoenix. Uh, My family was new here. We didn't really know anybody here. We had just came from a city like Portland and had real mountains. And we came here, and we had these brown hills, and we're like, I don't know, can this, can this work? And we, and we would talk to people, and we're like, I, they would talk about places they like to eat, and we're like, I've never been there. I don't really know what that place is about. They would talk about things they love about Phoenix, like golf, and we're like, man, golf's kind of expensive. I don't, maybe this isn't the place for us, and we didn't really know that many people. We were faced with this opportunity to start a new church. And I've shared this story before, so some of you have been around know this, but um, we were thinking about, should we stay, should we go? Should we start a church, or should we just go take a job at a church and just you know, call it a day and, and move back to Texas, which is where we're from? And, and we kind of played that all out in our heads and our hearts, and we prayed through it. And there was one night where I was laying on the floor, uh, not one of my best moments, I was laying on the floor and I was like, God, why'd you call us here? I don't really fit with these people. I'm not sure that we really know these people. I'm not sure that we can really plant a church. I'm not sure about these brown hills that everybody calls mountains. Like, are we really supposed to do this? And I was, I was whining, kids, I was whining. And I was like, what are we gonna do? And I looked at my wife and she said, listen, if stability and all the normal things that you think about when you make decisions in life weren't a factor, like financial security and and just commonalities with people, if all those things weren't in place, what would you do? And in that moment, I said, I would start a church. I would start a church. And she said, well, let's do that. Let's do that. And in that moment, God used my wife and he used some of you guys to say, this is what the church can be. That, that all of these things, all of these things that we think are gonna be hard and messy, we don't have in common, we're not sure about, and relationships and all that kind of stuff, that, that what, if we, what if we invested into it? And what if we saw the church as Jesus sees the church? 
that it wasn't this place where all our affinities line up, that it wasn't this place where everybody always gets along and no one ever hurts one another. But what if it was this place where people hurt each other, people don't have things in common, people get awkward sometimes, where things are messy, but you see Jesus Christ redeem all of that and bring a people together to make a difference in the community, in the city, for his glory, for our good, and that we can show that to other people and demonstrate that to other people and invite them in that process and that in one to two years we can be a church who does that, in five to ten years we can be a church that does that and we can see new people entering into that kind of family who look at it just like you look at a song, like the Cupid Shuffle who at first you're like, man, I don't know about this church thing. I don't know if I want to get out there. And then before you know it, there's all these people who are like to the left, to the left, to the right, to the right. And we can step back and look and see the only reason any of that happens is because of Jesus. The only reason any of that occurs is because of his redemptive plan, that we're connected to him so we contribute and connect with others. And that what if we could see that and that picture of the church, listen, that picture of the church is why you start a new church because it's hard and it is messy. And some of you have experienced that with us, that we're just almost two years into this thing. And it's hard and it's messy, but it's so beautiful to see people come together around Jesus and his mission. That it's worth not just giving a couple years to, it's worth giving your life to. And so that's why I'm here. I love the church. I love you. But I'm a little bit biased, right? Like some of you are thinking right now, well, Tim, you're a pastor. Like, that's a great story, but you're supposed to do things like that. Well, listen, I'm a, I'm a person too, but I am also a pastor, but I know I'm a little bit biased. And so I don't want you to just hear from me. I want you to hear from some other people in our church. And so I'm going to invite up somebody in our church locally. Uh, his name's Dave Lang. And so would you guys give it up for Dave as he comes up? Tim. Dave, why don't you give uh, the people just a brief background about your experience with the church? Sure. So uh, let's see, growing up, I was raised in a Catholic family. Uh, I went to Catholic mass and uh, <clears throat> the church for me was just a part of my life, and you know uh, I'd go with my family. Uh, and it wasn't until I went to a summer, a Christian summer camp, that uh, I really realized uh, my true fallen nature uh, and what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. And so I learned about Jesus, and I, was, I wanted to know more about this Jesus uh, character that I heard about. And so I'd, I'd come home and, and pour into my Bible uh, to learn more about it. Uh, a friend uh, recommended to me a, a Bible church, a non-denominational church. Uh, and so, you know, I started going to that and just really uh, seeing some growth and, and fruit in the, the, the church in itself. Um, you know, there were some times where... It was a little bit distant uh, coming from uh, the college scene, and uh, even after uh, college, I think there were some things that I thought in my life would give me uh, satisfaction and fulfillment uh, in chasing some of those things, and so there was a distance of that period, uh, but I knew that God was always uh, just calling me back to himself, calling me back to the church, uh, and so, you know, going through some hardships uh, later is when I was living in St. Louis. I uh, didn't have the best friends to kind of uh, speak into my life and give me advice. And so I knew that I needed to go back and, and answer that call of God. And uh, so I got invested into a, a church in St. Louis. 
Uh, it was great. I uh, got plugged into a community group and just did, you know, things weekly with them, going to church there, and uh, even in getting involved in, in youth ministry. And so it was just amazing to see uh, God grow me, uh, just use me in that moment and, and help me to grow all the way to uh, where I moved to Arizona. Um, and been here for a few years in, in Phoenix, and it's just been awesome, the, the exponential growth, and I have just God to thank for, you know, being with me every step of the way, and it's just been really fruitful to be part of the church. That's awesome. So there's some obstacles that you overcame to, yeah. to, get, to get to church. There's some obstacles we talked about today. What helped you, because you're here, right? Yep, I'm here. You're, you're still here. <laughs> what helped you overcome those obstacles? Yeah, so I think, Tim, one of the big, biggest obstacles for me is just being right here on this stage. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm an introvert by nature. And so I think, you know, Tim's talking about the, uh, the Cupid shuffle. He's one of those guys to say, Dave, come up here. It'll be fun. He tells me, and I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't really <laughs> seem like that great of an idea to me. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, getting up here and as you start going through uh, some of those motions, it's, it's cool just to hear the, the stories and be a part of it. And so some of the obstacles that I've overcome is, is some of that fear. Uh, you know, even community group and things of that nature, it's not particularly my favorite thing to do. But, uh, you know, when I'm actually there and start doing it, um, I just see it's just great to be able to see some of the things that are going on in Phoenix Bible Church um, to, to develop and, and see some of those deeper relationships and uh, to see, you know, uh, miracles that we've prayed through that have come to be and um, just seeing those, you know, the dip, deeper um, uh, relationships and people investing in each other. Um, I know Tim investing in leaders and leaders in investing in each other. Um, and so, you know, when you think about Jesus laying down his life for the church, uh, it's just amazing to, to, to kind of see that example and then, you know, I thought maybe, you know, the least I could do is, uh, you know, help out and play with some cool kids in, uh, in you know, Sunday school or, uh, you know, pass out bread or count money. And so, you know, it wasn't until I started getting involved in some of those functions that I truly saw um, some of the inner workings of what has to come together on a typical Sunday. Um, and it was cool just how something that as the church started off so small um, that was, you know, invested in was such a, a, big, um, a big deal and a benefit for God's glory and for the benefit of all the church members. And so, you know, I just remember thinking, I don't want to miss out on that. I want to be in that and I want to be <clears throat> in that ground level, um, you know, just like an investment, of, you know, you have a financial investment. You want to be in right at the beginning and, and see all the fruit and the yield that comes from that. And so, um, you know, I think that really helped to kind of see uh, leaders sacrificing their time and, and talents and everything coming together uh, to work as the body. And so it was a big nice. benefit. So as you think about, I mean, there's lots of people here today who have overcome similar obstacles who maybe you're trying to overcome those right now. What would you say? You're, you're connected in a church. You're leading in areas in our church. Uh, what value does the church have in your life? What, what should it have in, in their life? Yeah. So I, I can't see, uh, what, I don't know what my life would be like if the, the church wasn't such a big uh, aspect. You know, for me, it's, I don't have a family here in Arizona and, you know, uh, a lot of, you know, my close friends have, uh, I've met in the church. And so um, the church has been a big thing for me. You know, I, I love the, the corporate worship and the preaching of the word. Uh, it's just very fruitful for my life and talking to people and seeing about their week. And, you know, I could go home and, and come back the next Sunday and do that all over again. Um, you know, go to, go to work and have my uh, routine and, you know, independent um, isolation and come back from work and go to the gym and try to find new travel spots and stuff like that. But I think uh, the thing that's really, um, you know, been the biggest benefactor for me is investing further and going, uh, going and seeing that and uh, being a part of something bigger. Uh, and so, 
you know, the, the thing lately for me is, uh, is connecting, especially uh, new people, uh, trying to figure out ways to, to connect, uh, you know, the church body that we do have uh, and, and getting new people plugged in. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity. In fact, uh, I just talked with a my mom, uh, she had a uh, close death in her family, and my friend was going through some struggles um, and just, you know, battling some things in depression. And uh, just, you know, them, I could hear the pain in their voice and, and uh, knowing that they were going through something really tough and, and you know, just being alone and, and wondering where they should turn to. So, um, you know, we have things like that that happen in life, and I was able to help talk through uh, some of those things with them. But it just made me thankful for uh, what we have at Phoenix Bible Church, this family, and uh, just coming together, as you said, you know, uh, people really taking the time to get to know one another uh, and connecting. And that's why, you know, it, it takes time. It doesn't just happen overnight. And that's why I'm, I'm really excited about uh, some of the fall things that we have, uh, some events and, and different activities that we have planned, uh, just to be able to, to help that to happen more naturally and to get to know one another. Um, so, you know, I'm excited for that. You know, I encourage anybody new or just going through anything, um, you know, just like me, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in, in doing it. But um, the one comfort I do have is that I was able to see uh, is just knowing that there's somebody else that's going through this, either has gone through or going through the, some of the similar things that I probably am and knowing that they're there uh, helping me through that and, and, and being, you know, doing it together so you don't have to do it alone. Uh, that's just a big comfort. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing, so, Dave. Appreciate yeah. it, man. Appreciate you guys it. think, Dave? And, and Dave, Dave, you're, you're the most uh, popular introvert I've ever seen. Um, I think it's a perfect Sunday for Dave to be up here because all these kids in this room, when they see that guy, they flock to him. Like, normally I'm my kid's hero, but not with Mr. Dave, right? And so he kind of sold himself short a little bit. Maybe he's introverted, but God has used him, and he, he's helping and leading in our church and, and thankful for him. Uh, also, that's kind of our local church family, an expression of that. I want you guys to hear from our, our global church family. Yes, Phoenix Bible Church is global. You didn't even realize. Uh, but we're in Honduras. We have a family in our church that went to Honduras a few months ago. And I want you to hear from them what God's doing and see how we can pray for them as an extension of our church. So look at the screen real quick. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Hey, Phoenix Bible Church, it's Carlene. It's Chris. The boys are outside playing. We figured, hey, while we have a calm moment, let's talk to you guys. Hi. Hello. So we are here in Tegucigalpita, Honduras. We have finished our two months of training with Mission Encounters International at the island of Helene, and now we're on the mainland. And we have been teaching. We're moving into our third week of teaching, and we are living at the Children's Village, where the boys and the girls um, who are here at the orphanage at Worldwide Heart to Heart, they live. So we're right across the street, across the street. We are right on campus with them. It's super fun. One of the fun things that I enjoyed has been the bus ride from Tegucigalpita to Puerto Cortez, where the school is. It's about 45 minutes to an hour, one way, with about 80 kids plus adults on the bus. It's quite the chaotic enjoyment. Uh, one of my favorite moments is riding the bus, and I hang out with one of the boys named Nicholas, and we exchange our Bibles. He gives me his Spanish Bible. I give him my English Bible, and we go through psalms or other verses throughout scripture, and we'll take turns, I'll read a verse, he'll read a verse, and I'm pretty sure he understands what he's saying a lot more than I do. 
Well, the kids are super patient at teaching us Spanish, so it's really been cool. It's fun to see Alex and John also pick up a lot of phrases. The girls on the bus love braiding hair, which is awesome. I'm always having my hair done, which is really fun to show up at school with all sorts of different hairstyles. And one of the gals, Myra, is 16. She'll be 17 in a few months, and she's often the one doing my hair, and it's been really cool getting to know her, too. And because we live here with them, we're on the boys' side of the campus, but we still get a lot of opportunities to talk with the girls and play with them, talk with the boys, play with them, as well as have our own little home here for lesson planning and our own family time. So it's really been a blessing to be here. We want to thank you guys very much for your love and support, your prayer. We couldn't be here or do what we're doing here without you. So thank you very much, PBC. Yeah, we love and miss you guys very much. Have a great day. Bye. Nice. Well, that, that's the Wagner. Some of you know those guys. Some of you may not. But uh, they've been a part of our church since the very beginning. And, and it's a joy to have them in Honduras uh, as a part of our church family. We get to support them financially as a church. Maybe some of you don't even realize that. We're not even two years as a church ourselves, and we're supporting them. And so I get to hear from those guys a lot. We're going to put out a blog this week that's more in detail. I talked to Chris on the phone uh, this week, and uh, he didn't share some of this in the video, but just so you guys can be praying for our church and praying for them specifically. Uh, one of the things he told me was that, you know, some things uh, there aren't exactly like they thought they were going to be, right? In Honduras, another country, there's some obstacles, and uh, one of those is like internet, um, they haven't had internet for like two weeks and, and finally get some hotspots and are able to get online and, and check things and do things and communicate with people. Um, another thing is electricity, kind of important. Uh, another thing is water and different things like that. They just, they've kind of been hit and miss on in their time there. And so they're working with an orphanage. God's using them in mighty ways. We want to pray for that. But we also just want to pray for their family. Uh, they specifically asked for just a balance of all that hectic chaos of adjusting to a new country, specifically with all those obstacles, and still being able to invest in their two little kids who are their, their schooling as well, and they're interacting with this, with this orphanage as well. And so I just want to take a moment to, to pray for those guys as we, as we close out our sermon, uh, to pray for our church. Uh, they're an extension of that. Um, and just to just see this work out. You know, the church is a people. It's not a place. Uh, the church connects, the church contributes, the church cares for one another. And as you hear from Dave, as, as all of you have experiences in the church, we just want to be really intentional about continuing that at our church, celebrating it, and petitioning God to do way more than that. And so would you pray with me for them, for the Wagners, and for our church family as we continue to exalt Jesus uh, and for our good in this city? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the church. Uh, we thank you that it's not an institution that we made up or created. It's something you put together, you chose, and you organized, and we get to be a part of it. Uh, and God, I, I do pray for uh, the Wagners who are a part of this church just in another place, um, that their life has drastically changed, their, their circumstances have changed, their culture has changed, their context has changed, but they can still connect, contribute, and care for one another. And I pray that we would do that by extension here in Phoenix, that even in this moment, that, that God, that you would help them to know in a, in a real way that there's a people, there's a group of people in Phoenix, at Phoenix Bible Church, who are praying for them, uh, who want to know what's going on in their lives, who want to support them even from afar, that we get to 
be a part of that. And so God, I pray that you would, you would bring things like internet and uh, water and electricity back online so they could better follow you and better help this orphanage and better be a light in the darkness in Honduras. And so God, we, we ask for that for them. I pray for Dave and I pray for all the people in our church. I pray for our leadership, for all the people that serve and contribute in so many ways at our church. God, that some of them needed to be reminded today why the church is so beautiful, why it exists, why we started it, what is in the future for our church and, and why it matters for eternity that some of those people need to be reminded of that. And, and I realize also some of these people are brand new to this thing and they don't, they don't know what to do and they're hesitant and, and they're wondering, should I jump in on this? How do I jump in on this? I pray that you would give them discernment and an urgency that there's nothing else worth giving their life to than you in the midst of the local church and your mission on this earth. And so God, I pray for also the people who've been burned. Uh, God, I know that there's those men and women in this room who've been jacked in the face by a lamp in the church and, and don't know how to respond. And maybe they made it here today, but there's just some, some feelings, some experiences, some past that is holding them back from being genuinely known, from getting involved in your mission in the local church. And God, I pray that in this moment, they would forgive the church. God, that many of us hold on to so many things and, and, and we need to forgive the church. Uh, the church is not perfect. The church is broken, but it's redeemed by you because you have forgiven us. And so, God, I pray that if some of us today, we need to forgive the church and move forward with the church. God, I pray that that would happen in these next few moments. God, I thank you again for the church. I thank you that we get to sing together, that this isn't just uh, a religious exercise, that we sing, we lift our hands, we celebrate because we have been saved and sent by Jesus Christ. And that's why we sing and that's why we gather. That's why we're the church. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.